10. Sermon text for this morning. Mark chapter 10. We'll read verses 35 through 52. End of the chapter. Verse 35 through the end of the chapter. This is God's holy word. He gives it to us, his people, for our good. Let us give our attention to its reading. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they, for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sometimes there's more wrapped up in a question than we initially realize. And it's true that how we answer questions often will reveal many things about us. It reveals what we really want. It reveals our heart, what we most desire or believe that we should be seeking. And if Jesus were to ask us, what do you want me to do for you? It would reveal at least a couple of things. It would reveal what we believe about him and his work, who he is, and and the kind of blessing that he can and will grant. It tells, very simply, who we believe him to be and what we believe he is. Secondly, it reveals what we most want from him 
And that is an important question as we say that we believe he holds all things in his hands. You are coming to someone who is the king of kings and the lord of lords. We are coming to someone who can still and calm the sea. We are coming to someone through whom all things were made. Thus he is in control of all things. And if we believe that he is for us and on our side and we come to him with desires, what we ask or how we answer, what do you want me to do for you? It reveals what we most want from someone who is in control of all. And to to many that would be a great advantage. And And of course it is, but how we answer it shows how we value the things that he offers. What is it that Jesus gives? And since we know what he gives, do we rightly value that? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And how we answer that question says a lot about our hearts. And in that, we will see many lessons on coming to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we'll be focusing on as we make preparation for this very thing So the first main point is this, come to the table like Bartimaeus, not like James and John. Perhaps you noticed that Jesus asks that same question to James and John and to Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? That is precisely why I wanted to focus on uh, these two passages consecutively today. It would be simple to miss in your uh, basic Bible reading. But it is really one of the keys to unlocking this passage. How do the disciples answer that question? And perhaps more importantly, uh, what do we see in the manner in which the disciples first approach Jesus? They come to him in a quite aggressive and self-serving way, it would seem. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. It seems as if they believe they are setting the terms to the conversation. What transpires is very obvious to see. James and John are wanting to capitalize on what they think Jesus is going to eventually do. He's going to rule and to judge Israel. And perhaps they believe that coming with this kind of assertiveness is the kind of thing that Jesus wants. And and those who show this kind of assertiveness, this kind of courage and boldness, not only to approach him this way, but to say, we can go where you are going. We will not leave you. We will not abandon you, no matter how hard the road gets. Perhaps they believe that those who show this kind of confidence will be those who share in this blessing to sit on his right and his left. Contrast the disciples with the posture of Bartimaeus standing far off rather than asserting some kind of ground on which to stand to ask for something from Jesus. Bartimaeus simply cries out for mercy and forgiveness and for help. One Uh, commentator puts it like this. Jesus asks both the sons of Zebedee and Bartimaeus the same question. What do you want me to do for you? The disciples answer to the question is telling. They want to sit on thrones with Jesus and reign with him in triumph. Bartimaeus sits in the dust and makes no demand for glory but cries out from his wretched poverty. He only wants to see. The disciples see Jesus as a Messiah who will bring them mastery and glory. Bartimaeus sees him as the son of David who brings him healing and sight. Even in his calling Jesus the son of David, Bartimaeus is recognizing Jesus as a king, as an authority, as the one who sets the terms, who determines the course of things. 
who can define who he is. And that's important for us to see in this passage and for us to consider in our own lives. Do we come to Jesus thinking that we can tell him what he is supposed to be for us, what he is supposed to do for us? Or we do, do we grant him or recognize the authority that is already his, that is rightfully his, to be able to say who he is and what he does? Jesus sets straight the thinking of James and John by teaching them or reminding them the nature of his ministry. Jesus says, Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He contrasts his reign and his rule with that of the nations of what he calls the Gentiles who use power to lord it over others. In all of Jesus' ministry, he reminded his followers and his closest disciples often that he came to do his Father's will. In other words, all that he did flowed out of his submission to the Father. Submission. He came to bear sin, which shows a willingness to suffer, which would go against the grain of the other kings of the world. He came to be a ransom for sinners, which shows shows sacrifice and service. Submission, suffering, sacrifice, and service. The question for James and John, a question for us that confronts us today, is whether we allow Jesus to define his work and his ministry on his terms. Will we we let one who is the Lord of all, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, will we let him be what he declares to be in our hearts, a servant of sinners? When we do so, we inherit blessing that goes far beyond that which James and John could have even imagined. They wanted a throne, but they received an eternal Savior. They wanted earthly glory. What they get in Jesus Christ is eternal life and eternal blessedness and satisfaction with God. So often people believe that God exists to fulfill some kind of pleasure-filled life here, that God is like a genie. He does not grant wishes. He ministers to our deepest needs. God does not grant wishes. He ministers to our deepest needs needs, whether we know them or not. And what we have to see is that that is a greater blessedness than someone who grants wishes to us. Allowing Jesus to define his ministry, allowing Jesus to teach us his work on his terms means that he becomes the central focal point of our lives. It means that we believe him to be all that we need for salvation It means that when we come to the table, when we come to our Savior, we come with a Christ confidence, not with any self-confidence. You see self-confidence in the disciples, don't you? Grant our requests. We want to rule. We can take on your baptism. We can drink the cup from which you will drink. They believe that they will walk alongside him all of the way. Of course, that, uh, that word of prophecy proves to be not true. No one stays with Jesus until the end. They all abandon him in their own ways. So their self-confidence was ill-founded. When we come to the table of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saying that in coming, we declare that we need Christ in order to be saved and that he alone is our salvation. Our catechism says this, who should come to the Lord's table? And this is the first 
words that are, that are in that answer. Those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins. We're called to examine our hearts as to our faith and our life and our desire to honor and glorify God. But it should always be from a place of displeasure that we have not done all that we could do. Yes, our faith is genuine. Yes, our desire to glorify God is sincere. Yes, we sense the work of God in our lives, conforming us to the image of Christ. And we see evidence of all of that. But the first disposition that we have is displeasure. That there is something wrong with us. That we need to be forgiven. We need to be cleansed. So those who are displeased with themselves, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned, that their remaining weakness is covered, by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to lead, and to lead a better life. Samuel Rutherford says, There is no sweeter fellowship with Christ than to bring our wounds and our sores to him. How do we attain a greater closeness, communion, and fellowship with our Savior? It's by bringing to him our wounds, our sores, our weaknesses, our failings. Because when we do so, we are saying from our hearts that we believe Christ cleanses us of these things. That he will heal us of these things. That he will produce in us a greater faithfulness as we do so. There's no sweeter fellowship with Christ than to bring our wounds and our sores to him. That's what Bartimaeus does. Come to the table like Bartimaeus. Second, come to the table to see Jesus. Come to the table to see Jesus. One of the great contrasts in these two accounts is that while the disciples seem to not understand the key issues, it is the blind man who sees things more truly than they do. What is it that he sees? He sees first the majestic worth of Christ. He sees the beauty of Christ. He sees the holiness of Christ. So he stays far away and he asks for mercy. He understands from faith that Jesus is transcendent, that Jesus is different than he is, that he can't quite approach Jesus with any kind of presumption. He's unworthy. Verse 47 is a hinge point in this passage. It says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, when he heard that it was this singular figure. This one for whom every heart in all of the world ought to seek. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, then what did he do? It needed to be Christ. It needed to be Jesus. This Jesus that ignites in him this faith, this crying out. He recognizes holiness. He recognizes kingship. He sees with faith that Jesus is full of mercy. In that sense, there's agreement between James and John and Bartimaeus. They all see a king, but they're expecting two very different kinds of kings. Two very different kinds of of kingdoms. The point is that it is the eyes of faith that will help us see better than anything that we see with our eyes. So when we come to the table, we don't see Jesus physically, but we see something. And that which we behold, that which we see, that which we touch, that which we taste, teaches us of Christ. To human eyes and hands, unaccompanied by faith, the elements of communion are rather 
unremarkable, hardly noticeable. But if our senses are grounded in faith, the bread and the wine becomes tangible assurances that Christ and his benefits are real, that God attends to our observance of the table. The Belgic Confession says this, We believe that our good God, mindful of our crudeness and weakness, has ordained sacraments for us to seal his promises in us, to pledge his goodwill and grace towards us, and also to nourish and sustain our faith. He has added these to the word of the gospel to represent better to our external senses both what he enables us to understand by his word and what he does inwardly in our hearts, confirming in us the salvation he imparts to us. He has added these to the word so that we might be nourished, so that we might be assured. He did this mindful of our weakness because our faith can shift, it can blow like the wind at times. We need these kinds of things. And so in so doing, we believe that we are acknowledging that even if we have a blindness to many of the things which God is doing in our lives, we can still see enough to know that we'd rather have him guide us. We would rather have him as our God. We would rather have him as our Lord. Isaiah 42 says this, I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. Come to the table to see Jesus. In other words, come to the table in faith, trusting the promises of God, trusting God's ministering to us through these elements. And then finally, come to the table to receive strength for the road. Come to the table to receive strength for the road. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asks. Bartimaeus could have been tempted to go for the quickest fix. He's a beggar. And so here you have a man who is very powerful. Perhaps Jesus will do some kind of miracle that will give him lots of money so that uh, he can get what he needs and wants for a while. But his request for sight becomes for us a challenge. Do we want the light that Jesus gives? Do we want above all else that he would bring us from darkness into light, that we might know him, that we might serve him, that we might commune with him? The question posed by Jesus in this passage still hangs before all of humanity. We cannot make Jesus whatever we choose, but what this does say is that Jesus will only do something for those who answer this question correctly. How we answer this question says what all that we believe about Jesus. Do we want to see truth? Do we want to see Christ? Do we want to have Christ before we would receive pleasure or status or riches or anything that this world can give? In verse 50, Bartimaeus leaves behind probably one of his only worldly possessions, earthly possessions, his cloak. He leaves it behind to come to Jesus. This would have been something that protected him from the cold. Again, probably one of the only things that he owned. The cloak was also important because it was likely where beggars, uh, beggars would likely lay them in front of themselves, and that's where people would drop coins or whatever people would give to them. He leaves it behind. Jesus says, your faith has healed you. So what do we want Jesus to do for us? We should want him to heal us as he has been appointed to heal. To be a ransom for sin. To absorb God's wrath on our behalf 
behalf because of our rebellion against God. To be the substitute for sinners who died in our place. To be the only one who can set us right with God. We want him to give us eyes to see things as they truly are. That he is the one who will stand at the end of history as king of kings and lord of lords. And that it is wise to give him allegiance now. For those who confess him now are the ones whom he will confess to his father on that great day. And finally, we want him to give us the strength that only he can give. In the Gospel of Mark, the road or the way is very central. It's very important. Bartimaeus follows Jesus along the way. There's a double meaning here. Of course, literally, Bartimaeus just begins to follow Jesus. He begins to follow him on the road. But following is a spiritual reality in the scriptures and especially in Mark. But that road, the road of the life of following Christ, can only be traversed for those who have received the strength that only Christ can give. The road of life for the Christian is long, it's arduous, it's dangerous, fraught with many challenges and trials and things that we would not have expected. It is not so just because this life is lived out under the curse, right? There are, there are challenges, trials, tragedies for all people from all walks of life, from any background, no matter what their religious preferences are. But the challenge for the Christ follower comes in that when the unexpected comes, when the tragedy comes, when the trial won't go away, we are called to maintain our love and reliance and joy founded upon the one who gives us these benefits and yet who is in control of all things. Not one atom in this universe is outside of the control of Christ. And so the challenge for the Christ follower is to say he is my everything, he is my joy, he is my salvation, and I uphold the belief that he is yet in control of every atom in this universe. The temptation when trial comes is to say God does not know what he's doing. We could do a better job of running the world, of running our own lives. But the faithful person says, though I cannot make sense of this, I will receive and walk through this time with joy and assurance. I will continue to come to him for the strength that only he can give. So when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? We say, I want your salvation. I want your healing. I want your strength so that I may walk this road of life, so that I may go along this way following Jesus in a way which glorifies Christ, the Son of David, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. So finally, with all of that, come to Jesus. Come to the table in faith, in humility, in reliance, in great expectation that he will supply a supernatural strength in these elements. Bartimaeus will not be deterred. The people try to discourage him, but like many others in the Gospel of Mark, it is those who see Jesus for what he is who will not be stopped from coming to him. They say, I know who this Christ is and I need him. Do you see Jesus for what he is and what he gives? If you do, then nothing will stop you from coming to him, from exercising faith in him, from continually relying upon the blessing and strength that only he can give. Let's pray and ask for his help in these moments. So Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for the treasure 
the salvation of Christ, the healing, and the strength. We pray that we would come to the the table like blind Bartimaeus, seeking mercy, seeking healing, seeking strength for the road. We give these moments into your hands, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.